Yeah, so if I, uh, and I'll do probably a poor job of summarizing it, but how I remember it uh, and to summarize it would be that it's better to have even small scale experiments with small scale, um, a small scale MVP or product than it is to interview people about what a potential bigger product or service could be. And oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, so, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. So I, 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 I tend to agree with it too. I, I think yeah, I that, that I think that um, the kind of the biggest one of the biggest values to me in the customer discovery process um, is less around the actual discovery of what people get from it as much as it is it shows some level of and he uses this term uh, a lot and i use a lot you know skin in the game is this these people that are doing it and are choosing to do it to a process that is well a good process um they're showing that they're taking this seriously and this isn't just like wouldn't this be cool if kind of thing but they're they're going yeah. through some level of a process and it proves some level of I'm taking, like I said, taking this seriously and I'm trying to figure something out. And I, I, I kind of almost tend to think that there is um, more value in having any kind of process than no kind of process. It doesn't matter if the process is Steve Blank, customer discovery, do this, or if it is, you know, interview 500 people, or if it is build a prototype in, in uh, 48 hours and get it in front of, you know, 10 people using it or trying what, you know, whatever these, and he has all these other hacks around, you know, putting up landing pages that. Yeah. That Those are all things. the things we teach though. Right. Right. So mm -hmm. I, I just kind of, I'm, I, uh, that even to a broader sense, I, that was what I was starting to think about was like, I wonder how much the actual, what what the process is matters less than that you're using a process or you're using a something like there's a hundred thousand mm -hmm. business books out there it's kind of like i i, I wonder I, I don't know if you could just tell anybody blind here's here's one of 50 mm -hmm. go and do it doesn't matter which one it is and um you'll be more successful than if you like either didn't do any of them or if you, if everybody did the one, one process. You know what? I, I think fundamentally from, even with Alberto and um, Steve Blank and all of the, Alberto doesn't get in deep into what the questions would sound like, but fundamentally where I see people go wrong with the whole concept is they're asking the wrong questions. That, that's it, that, that, that is where the line is drawn in the sand that everybody crosses and like, but I did customer discovery and I'm like, yeah, but you told them about your product. Like customer discovery is about asking them how do they do things now, you know, and if they, if they mention, oh man, I hate this, this and this, or I'm challenged with this, this and this. That's when you start digging into that, but you don't say what part about what, the, what you're doing now annoys you or challenges you because you're making the assumption that something in that process annoys or challenges them. This is the hard part. 
Um, and so once you do that and you say that, then they start trying to find things that annoy and challenge them. And that's what we call leading the witness. Like when I go through this um, exercise with students that I teach entrepreneurship to, we go, I, I like beat them up. And I'm like, just, just remember, I'm gonna beat you up for the next three weeks. Cause what you're asking is, is you're reaching. You're asking certain questions to get certain answers so that you can see whether or not your idea is a good idea. And I totally get that, but do that later. Right. When you first start out, it's about how they do things now and finding ways to get them to elaborate on if, not you asking, but if they have challenges, if they wish things were better, but it's not even wishing. People don't know what they don't know. And they, they're really, really bad at predicting the future. That's one of the things that like Steve Blank talked about all the time, which is true. Cause you'll say, well, what if you had this? Um, what if you had a product that do this, would you buy it? And there's a, a case study that Flashpoint at Georgia Tech, which was, a, um, it was basically a customer discovery accelerator. The whole concept was based upon that. It's now closed. But some of the companies that you've that you know have been successful here have come from Flashpoint. Actually, some are ATDC portfolio companies, and they forced them to go through this process of customer discovery for about twelve weeks. And literally, they cannot sell anything. It's all about learning about customers. And the whole premise of that of that accelerator was based upon the founder of Flashpoint, his experience with. Amazon said, oh, was it Amazon? I think it was Amazon saying that, oh, you know, he was doing customer discovery and they said, it would be great if we had this, right? So he, he and his team go and create it. And from that day to this one, Amazon still never bought it. <laughs> and they said, that's what they wanted. And it goes back to the way you ask questions. Cause I've seen it even in my own work, you know, I, you can, it, we can manipulate people to say what we want them to say. And we don't realize it and they don't realize it, but they do, it's proven rather or not they're authentic is when it's time to come to pay for it. And yeah. um, that's where you learn whether or not it's for real. And also if sometimes people will buy it once just to try it because they know that it was part of the initial, you know, customer discovery, but they won't become a repeat customer because it's not something that they really needed or really want it. It's more of a, a pity, um, you know, a pity buy. Um, and we're, the whole point of customer discovery is to avoid that and actually find authentic demand, which was the foundation of what Flashpoint was about. And, and did, you went through Flashpoint, is that? Actually, no, okay. actually we didn't. Um, they, were part of, they were part of the work we did at Georgia Tech though, when I was doing my MBA. Okay. So. That's why I got I got the goodies because I was a student there. But everybody yeah. else, you know, they had to they had to do it the hard way. But yeah, yeah, I I, I think where I'm, um, you know, I, I've, I've seen customer discovery as well, um, and and asking questions. Um, where I do find it more interesting um, is that next step of if you're a team that can put something out quickly, that's a prototype, that's a something that's a the MMist of MVPs um, that allows for real world use feedback and um, uh, potential uh, engagement from uh, 
painting customers in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that you know live bullets always give you better data, and it, do, it just doesn't have to be as um, you know as big um, as everybody thinks it needs to be. The, the product yeah. needs to be at first, and and um, mm-hmm. so. Uh, I, I kind of think that's what I, he was getting at, uh, Alberto was getting at it. Yeah. Book, and, and, what, and what I found the most interesting about it was it was like, it's an evolution of of the broader ideas behind right. customer right. discovery um, and provides a process. It brings yeah. up another question I got, got for you, which um, I, I was thinking about the other day, but mm-hmm. it, it, you are like, the plannerist planner that I have met, maybe <laughs> like, like, you know, outlining out your you know, conversations, sales conversations, this kind mm-hmm. of stuff, which is unbelievable to me. It's, it's, just, it's, it's a different way to live. Um, but I, I, I was wondering like when, what makes you feel comfortable to get, to go from like that planning stage to like, now it's time to pull the trigger and, and do something phase like because you also have that side of you too which is like it's time to get get down to doing it like is there some is it just a gut feeling or is there something around what's what's the kind of trigger for you there isn't really like it's hard of course part of what you do of course in startup world or in business world too still relies upon gut but there has to be some data that tells me I'm not going to waste my time because I'm also one of those people who likes to set stuff up just to be disappointed. Um, There isn't, there isn't like a number. So I'll give you an example with Alberto, for example. Um, He talks about the X, Y, Z hypothesis and then like, you know, how many calls you have to make. Let's say you make um, you, you've outlined, you scripted out everything and you're going to make 30 calls. How many calls do you get through before someone actually requests a demo or decides to buy or whatever it is? That strategic way of approaching it is me. So if I'm going too far, um, you know, and this is when we were doing customer discovery, when I had my, my software company, if I'm like going too far, if I'm actually reaching 30, I'm like, oh man, this is not good. Like something needs to change. Is it my script? Is it who I'm calling? Is it the value proposition? Um, and I'm willing to switch around what I'm doing. The problem is most founders are not willing to switch around what they're doing. Like they're so stuck on their product. They're so stuck on what we're saying is right. Those people just don't understand. Um, And I'm just not one of those people. I I think that I always say this, and you've heard me say this on calls with founders, as an engineer, there is a certain arrogance that we have, that we think we know things. Um, But I'm also humble enough to know I don't know everything. And, And you have to have that constant curiosity about people. And then eventually what happens is because I study, I study people and it's so important to me to understand people and behavior. It's a curiosity I've had since a teenager. So once, because I, I constantly do that and have done that for years, once I listen and really pay attention, everyone eventually falls into one of the buckets that I've already created for them. (laughs) They all, they always do. And um, it, it, it just takes time to learn them more. 
And I feel like if I'm not going to that next step, whatever that step is for, you know, the business, let's say is to get a demo or to, for them to say, all right, let's hop on a zoom call, you know, with my team. And, you know, if I'm not getting that far, something is not resonating that I'm saying I'm, I've selected the wrong customer type or, you know, what I'm doing is completely not, not needed and unnecessary. And nobody wants to believe that about what they've spent their time and thoughts and put their hopes and dreams on. You know, and that's kind of crazy, I think, because you got to be a little bit crazy to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> we always say that just a little bit. I mean, just a little bit. Um, but then those that are you got and there's a little bit of type A, of course, a little bit of arrogance that, hey, I know I can do this and I know I can do it better than my competitor. Because I was talking about ar arrogance and confidence are different things. Arrogance is when you when you think you know, you're better than someone else. And in entrepreneurship, you got to think that what you're doing is better than your competitor. You know, so that's why I'm, that's why I use that term arrogance. Um, but you also have to have, you just have to be curious and open to learning and accepting new information and being willing to change, you know, your decision and your stance on something. Um, I don't know. And listen to other people that, um, are smarter and not even necessarily degree wise. They're like, no, you know, I have experience in, you know, SEO for websites. And I'm telling you when I do keyword research, your stuff don't make sense, Monique. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like I surrounded myself with those people who would bust my bubble every single week. And it did not hurt my feelings. Yeah, I will say that that is, um, the only thing for me that's worse than like uh, no one agreeing with you is everybody agreeing with you. Cause then you're just like, Oh, like I can't, all my ideas aren't good. Like, like let's yeah. have a little bit of, of uh, pushback to you. I'm not I, you know, <laughs> we, we were, uh, we were on a, a, you and I were on a call this week uh, with a somebody and it, it kind of, we, what you had to jump off after a while, but what the, we ended up talking a lot about was um, something that was kind of where, where what you were just talking about, which is like the difference between um, like a, you know, a service-based business and a product-based business. Because I do think that there is a part of what you just said, which is a problem uh, for people who are trying to build products sometimes is they become too malleable and they're like, well, you're willing to pay me $50,000 to add, you know, right. feature X, $50,000 is more than I'm going to make on this product in two years. Yes, let's do it. And, um, and so like understanding sometimes that you like have to hear what they're saying, but have to be able to explain through your product, how to achieve the goals that they need to be achieved and not changing everything that you've done to help them like hit this edge case that, that they think that needs to be the buying decision. And those are like kind of just two different kinds of salespeople. And there's two different types of philosophies around it. Cause like, if you want to be a, um, you know, a service-based software company, you can make a lot of money saying just yes yeah. to whatever. If you're selling wants. data, sell the data. Yeah. Just, just say, yeah, yeah. I'll do it. Wait, whatever, whatever you need, I'll do it. And mm -hmm. um, that's fine. I mean, I, don't, I, I, I never begrudge people who, who, legitimately find the value in that and, and, mm -hmm. and interest in that. Um, mm -hmm. 
But if you're going to say you're building a product, you need to listen to the customer, like you said, but you also need to understand where the, like, where you draw the line and say, this is not, you know, this isn't a failure of my tool or my software. Mm -hmm. This is maybe a failure of me explaining how to use it, or maybe we're not the product fit yet or whatever. There's other reasons to it. You have to have some point of view and opinion about what your product is um, that's different than the rest of everybody else. And that part, I think, is super hard. Um, It, It is. And you know what, what, what I found with founders, and this is, I literally just sent an email two weeks ago and a a founder um, emailed me and said, you know what, I think I'm just going to completely change the business. The, my product is not resonating with investors. They consider me more of a service company, even though technology and the way I'm explaining it. And I'm just like, I'm not liking the customers that are coming my way. And, you know, I'd like to raise money, you know? So I I responded back. I said, okay, so are you building a product for investors? Are you building Mm -hmm. it for customers? Like, let's, let's be honest here. And, And number two, how much money have you spent marketing to those said customers you claim this will be per- perfect for? And most founders will tell you nothing or I posted on social media or we did a thousand dollars on Facebook once. It's <laughs> always something very minimum and they expect this big, this big outcome. And I always try to bring them back to um, an example, which is MailChimp. You know, MailChimp started out just Um, doing website designs, you know, and over time it evolved into a product, you know, it took like 10 years for it to evolve into a product. And I think a lot of founders get caught up in creating a product that will be attractive to investors versus one that solves a problem for customers. It may not be investable, but you know how many rich people we know who who (laughs) never got VC funding? That's most people. Right. Yeah, I mean that's that's the other kind of question is like the is the why are you doing this kind of thing exactly, and it doesn't even have to be like this kind of like starts with why kind of philosophy around no, it's product. It's just right. it's just like <laughs> philosophically, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you in business? I mean, is your are you in business because you want to build and grow a venture back company, or are you in business because you want to build this solve this problem and you can solve this mm-hmm. problem without having so there's like a hundred different reasons why. And, and so before you make any kind of crazy choices or blow mm-hmm. things up or do it's just ask for, or, or start something like, why are you starting the second line of your business? Right. Because, well, you know, we, we've got a couple of people that asked us about it and it seemed like a good idea, but is it something that you're going to want to commit to for the next mm-hmm. 10 years of your life to build, to continue to build this thing out and grow it? Um, mm-hmm. Is it, I mean, just because it seems like the right, like a, easy low-hanging fruit or whatever Mm. all these reasons that like you know I've personally done you know said those things a hundred times before it doesn't mean it's the right thing to do and like Mm -hmm. I mean even to the broader sense of like are you doing this because you don't want to be doing this other thing you're kind of running away from this other thing Um, right and you're instead of like running towards the the thing that you're doing this new thing so like you know I think Mm -hmm. all founders and all people that are trying to go down this road I mean, the first part of why is not even like the why or someone going to use it or all. It's just like, why are you doing it? Why, why are, you, are doing you doing it? Why you, why now? Why you now? Why yeah. you and why you now? Yeah. yeah. Um, 
it's the thing is it's like right now I we're in the world where raising money is celebrated right um there are many businesses that are successful that have not raised any money and they actually have more recurrent revenue than those who have raised money. I know them. I know founders. That's that that's their situation. You don't see them on the front page of Hypopotamus and you know their business is not necessarily sexy. But it's like people um, right now it's a lot of, you know, fanfare around being a founder and raising money and people want that acknowledgement and it's like I think that it encourages the wrong behaviors because as I, you know, as I talk about with my entrepreneurial students is that people are just, people are entrepreneurs are just people who get paid to solve problems. And if you, if that problem that you're solving isn't with a scalable solution, it doesn't make you any less of an entrepreneur. You know, and that may not be something that VCs are interested in investing in, but so what? But then to them, they feel like a failure if they don't fit into that box. So they're, they're and I see this all the time, even to become a member of ATDC, they'll be like, oh, I changed my product to do this. And so instead of that, now it's going to be a monthly subscription and then people will buy. And it's like, but the product, the problem you solve doesn't require it to be paid on monthly. <laughs> like, why, why would you turn it into a SaaS just to, say you're a, a recurring revenue product just to become a member of ATDC. Like that, that doesn't make any sense, but they will put themselves in these boxes to look like that package that they think VCs and, you know, incubators like um, ATDC um, is looking for. And it's like, no, we're not looking for that. We're looking for you to be successful. And whatever that product is, it is what it is. It just doesn't mean that you know, your product is, you know, maybe a physical product that's not scalable or service. You can still be an educate member. You right. don't have to be a portfolio company to be successful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the community that we do have, especially at the portfolio level, you need like some kind of editing to it, right? You can't just be like anybody that wants to start a business or is a business could be a portfolio company. So, so right. we have to put some gates up. It just makes it manageable and it makes it, but that doesn't mean when, when you get said, when someone tells you no to you, it's not like no now change. Like, right. It's just not the right fit for the thing. And, and don't, don't get, don't like, you're not, you're not starting your business because of the ATDC. Right. <laughs> you're not and starting you your business because of VCs. How are you going to hear that from potential customers? Right. The majority yeah. of people you're going to talk to are going to say no. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's also like, I mean, most VCs will tell you, like, if, if you don't have to take VC money, don't take VC. Don't money. take it. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I agree. I, I do. That part is, you know, as a working for an organization who like it's looking for companies that are going to more than likely be venture backed. Um, it is always a weird conversation to have with people when you're, you know, doing a virtual coffee or whatever and saying, Listen, uh, I, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't see the reason to go down that road for what you're doing. And mm -hmm. I, I like your business or like, you know, I, I think you guys have a team that could do something that we're not the right fit. And it just, it, it feels weird to say that because you, mm -hmm. you want to help as many people as you can and all that kind of stuff. But it, mm -hmm. they're just, 
I, I think people, um, you know, you can make a, a really happy, um, you know, honestly, less stressful life for yourself. Yeah, exactly. Running, running businesses that aren't. Uh, would you tell them, Adam? Years. Would you please <laughs> tell them? That is so true. I was telling Jane um, last week, and I'm trying to remember who we were talking about. Um, and they were saying, well, yeah, you know, I was, I was successful when I, I had this company and it was basically a service company. And I said, well, you know, Jane, yeah, they were successful with that, but that was a service company. It requires a different skill set, building a scalable technology startup from scratch. Like that's different. And I, and having done both, let me tell you something. I love the service business. <laughs> it's just, it's just. For me, it comes natural. Well, I like the, the technology stuff too, but for me, the service business comes naturally. That's I don't have to do anything that requires me to depend on VCs to fund it. Right. Having been in that situation and having, you know, turned down investment because it was just like, I don't feel like playing that game, but I still believe and I could, you know, I still know for a fact I could build a certain amount of wealth not playing the VC game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, the guy I was weird. We were talking to, you know, I said, if you, you know, if what you want is to be able to charge a couple hundred dollars an hour to do customization to a piece of software you've already created, mm -hmm. um, that's a pretty good life if you can get it. Like, don't, don't, don't mm -hmm. think you have to be this, build out this team and this product uh, that's something that is different than that. I mean, it's mm -hmm. like, you know, I, I, I understand the idea of like trying to find ways to make money while you sleep. I've spent a lot of my life trying to find ways to make money while you sleep. <laughs> but it's also very nice to be able to say, I charge my going rates $200 an hour. And you know that every Absolutely. time you hit the stop clock on that, you're doing something. And like, it's pretty cool. Uh, and it, it's, it's very, you know, it can be very profitable. I mean, there's, you know, a lot of lawyers that are, you know, driving fancy cars because they, they do uh, you think and then it's like this it's just you know looking down upon where you're trading you know time for money and there are certain ways because I, I actually you know we were in, interviewing someone for the team um and and he was in consulting he's like well you know you know I'm training time for this and that I'm like there are ways to package your services so you're not trading time for money you're trading value for money. Right. I don't know how long this is going to take me to do this project, but my rates are project-based. Mm -hmm. So what I'm going to deliver to you is an outcome, not a certain number of hours. This is an outcome I'm going to guarantee to you. And so an example of that was what we did with Georgia Tech and these small business owners, right? So I remember they asked us, it's like, well, these business owners have this amount of money. How many hours is it going to take you to do X, Y, and Z? Like, I'm like, uh, based upon what they need, they need like a business review, business pivot. And by the time I do the report, talk to them, it might be a total of five hours max, right? Because this is what I do, right? So they just like, um, but those business owners didn't pay us by the hour. They they gave their their grant, their that check for that, for the service to Georgia Tech. So if I'm saying 
20, if I'm saying it'll take me five hours and the average check that they gave to, to me was $2,500, which meant that they were paying 500 bucks an hour from my time, but they didn't look at it that way. With, when they saw that report, when we had that conversation, they was like, wait a minute, what, what did you say? <laughs> what can I do? Can we talk again in three days? I have to digest this, right? And so I'm like, well, don't worry. You know, I'll type it up in a report. These people were just like blown away. They in no way in their mind thought about how much they were being charged per hour. Right. They were promised an outcome and they got yeah. that outcome. They don't even remember how much the check was for. Well, it, that is a dream when you can get that done. Um, I, it, it's hard. It's hard to do that sometimes. I will say, I, if I you stick to what you know. It's, I'm telling you, whatever you're good at, if you stick to that and you promise an outcome, you can do it. Um, yeah, just the scale has to be, I yeah. think, at a smaller scale than a bigger yeah. scale. So, like, yeah, um, in the web world, like we we sold. Um, uh, these documents we called cookbooks and they were, you know, uh, basically strategy and research documents. Mm -hmm. And those you could sell, you could put a price tag to them, you know, $8,500, $10,000. You could put a price tag to them. And, and we would literally print out a fancy looking book for you. And it would be a really expensive thing to have on your shelf. Um, <laughs> but like, but then the, like, you know, the, execution of that plan or that strategy and building out this broader piece of technology that that came from it that was a harder thing to do at a um, um, price for value situation I mean we yeah. tried it, but it's just like you know from when you get paid how often you get paid to all these kind of things just made it easier to manage the project in an hourly basis way um, but if you can you know it's the dream is a, a branding company that says we'll do your logo for you for a hundred thousand dollars and it takes them you know two weeks to do the logo or something there you go like that. i mean those, you're those, delivering the outcome right yeah th those companies are living the dream but those, there are very few of those that that like continue to make a lot of money doing that i think because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. there's only so many people that are willing to pay those numbers but um but at, at a scale that's like like what you just described it's there. It's reasonable, yeah. yeah. Then, then it's just like, oh, you, you can save me this or you can, you know, it, it, it's a low commitment time-wise for me to do all this kind of stuff. And I uh -huh. I get, you know, way more than the, the $5,000 of value and all that kind of stuff is, is, I think, very manageable. Yeah, but I was telling that guy though, I'm like, you would have to change around everything. And first of all, this is a job interview to work here. Like, <laughs> I can't tell you how you should be doing your business. But that example I just gave you with the clients that came to Georgia Tech, I did four of them in a week in addition to coaching and, you know, taking care of my family and all of that. So if I did four of those people and delivered an outcome in a week, just those four people was 10 grand last week. Right. And it didn't take me five hours for all of them. I can just because that's what I do. I can just kind of estimate it'll be you know, three to five hours. Some people was less, some people was right at that five hour mark because it took longer for me to create the report or they wanted to spend more time talking or one of them want me to call them back and explain the items in the report. 
um, you know, with them again. So some of them took that five hours, some of them didn't. But again, you know, when you weigh it out, it's a, it's a way to do it, but you got it like the whole the whole way you deliver, you acquire customers and deliver the service has to be different than what you're thinking right now. Like, cause we're, you know, we're not attorney, like attorneys charge per hour. And I still would be scrutinizing that. Like that was 10 minutes. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I'm being charged for the full hour. But that's how we are. That's how people are. And that's why when I started my consulting company, I was like, yeah, this whole charging by the hour thing, you don't get to decide what I do in an hour. Like, <laughs> you know, so it will be based upon the outcome, the deliverable. So I'm a deliverables based person in business. When people work for me, I don't care if they turn things in at four in the morning or four in the afternoon. Like it just, right. it doesn't even matter when they work. Um, it's just the output. It's just all based on the deliverable. Yeah. I mean, and you look through the business model of people who do hourly work, you know, law firms and CPA firms and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, consulting companies, it, the, the traditional model is, you know, you not only charge for your hours, but then you find a bunch of people that you can just work to work them to the bone when they're younger mm-hmm. to charge, to get a piece of each one of theirs hours is kind of a pyramid. Isn't that what scheme. Deloitte, Accenture and all them yeah. do? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it's been highly profitable for them for yeah, a long time. It, it is. And, it, it, and all these, I mean, all these people do it. And it, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I know that was like a turning point for me and our business was like, we don't, we, none of us that were the, the partners in the, in the company wanted that to be the business model. We didn't want to be like, yeah. we're going to, uh, you know, keep grooming people and working asking them to put in crazy hours each each week and then you know we it all all that seems unsustainable from a life of uh, from a life for for life um Mm -hmm. but a lot of people are are very happy with it but you can there's a there's like a middle ground there where it's like if you're a certain size or you're doing certain projects like you said then Mm -hmm. then you're a little bit more free like just everything that adds overhead on that side of things is something else that makes everything more complicated. So if it's overhead of people, if it's overhead of, you know, office space, if it's overhead of, you know, sales and marketing, you know, money to customer acquisition, all this stuff, you know, all all those overheads uh, make it where you have to start figuring things out. Like I had a friend slash ex-competitor who told me once that he, he did the math Mm-hmm. And it was either you need to be a two-person web company or you need to be at least a 10-person web company. And there's no like there's no in between. Wow. For, for the for the numbers to work out. So like, you know, two people can work and be happy to do it uh, and, and get, get everything they need to get done today. But once you get past that number to pay for all the stuff that needs to get done, you need to get up to 10 people. And, and that was a, uh, you know, I didn't ask for it to see his homework, but I, I, I believe yeah. that's probably <laughs> close to right, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So th- that's when you're trying to figure out, you know, your service-based business model. I'll encourage people to think about that. So do you think with the, 
popularity of those that are like freelancers and stuff now and have their own little side gig, would it make something like what you were doing before with your development company easier to do to be that 10 person team when you need it to be? Yeah, you know, it, it, in some ways it is, but you do get greedy. Um, and you get greedy yeah. in a couple ways for me, which is like mm-hmm. web de- or developers uh, get greedy because they charge a crazy amount of money per hour. So like, so for, you know, or, or whatever their fees are, are going to be close to your, your fees as a company. So you have to like oh. you know, find ways to make those things work. Um, okay. but, but even more so than that, you kind of get greedy with like, I like this person so much. So I want this person to be working on stuff with me more regularly. Oh, okay. And so for, at least at, at the time for me, it's like, mm-hmm. it's hard to find someone that you meshed with from a, you know, personality standpoint, from a work ethic standpoint, from a mm-hmm. quality of taste standpoint, you know, especially on the design side of things, but also on the programming side of things. And um, so, uh, it was hard to spin them up and spin them down and then just be like, all right, well, hopefully the next time we need someone to fill that role, we can, that same person's going to be available at the same time. And that was, you know, it, it's just, you're like, I just, if I, if, if we can do this right, you can have that person all the time and they can be working on things with you all the time. And that's was more fun for me. I think now in my current, you know, age and, um, Kind of ambition level like the idea of being able to spin up projects and spin down projects sounds like a lot more fun and manageable thing to do than try yeah. to keep the flywheel flying so we you mentioned about making money in your sleep someone asked me about that last week and i said well the only money i know that's been made in my sleep is real estate like you know, it takes time to do the transactions, set it up, you know, set things in place. But I mean, even when you have a tech company, it's still so much going on. You can't just hand that over to property managers and, you know, go to sleep and go, go vacationing and go whatever. I, I still feel like no matter what, real estate and and you know i understand most people have to start out with single family but multifamily real estate is to me the single biggest factor for most of the wealth outside of the the, the unicorns and some of the really successful tech startup um you know entrepreneurs but for everyone else fundamentally real estate has been that lever and it did not take up all of their time they had other businesses they work full time you know whatever so that's the only thing I know that literally you know you make money while you sleep but tech entrepreneurship that is not making money while you sleep <laughs> it is not like oh it's, it's a lot it's a lot it's definitely yeah. a lot it is and that's yeah for sure I mean you can also maybe write a top 10 hit or something like that and then yeah. get royalties on that for the rest of your life i think that's a good mailbox money type of situation as well but yeah. <laughs> I, I don't i, <laughs> I, I guess that. I, thanks for listening to our podcast to subscribe or listen to our back catalog go to a fly on the call.com